Hey, it's Kathy. I have something so fun to tell you about. You may know that the doors are open to my new program, The Abundance Method, but if you enroll by May 15th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific, you're going to get my signature business program also made to do this. That's a $3,000 program that you are going to get for free, included if you sign up by May 15th, just before midnight Pacific time. Made to do this is a phenomenal program that has helped thousands of souls to start businesses, to be able to make a living doing something that they love. This is an incredible deal. You don't want to miss it. Go ahead and sign up at kathyheller.com slash join. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I am so excited because we are doing another five-day challenge. Have any of you taken our five-day challenges? They're super fun. I always have such a good time. And the next one is starting in just over a week on August 31st. I'll be live every single day uh, for five days. So come on and join us. It's a five-day free workshop, and I guarantee you'll get your money's worth, even though it costs you $0 and zero cents. You can sign up at kathyhell.com slash challenge, and I will be going over all the things. How do you figure out what your thing is? How do you start to build a business? And how can you figure out what's possible now? Given what's going on with COVID, how can you find a way to make an impact and do it online? I, of course, was able to do that about four and a half years ago and built myself a multi-million dollar business doing things that I love that don't feel like a job. And I want to show you in depth for five days, a lot of things, and I'm going to bring the value and I'm going to bring my heart and soul. So I'd love to see you there. So go ahead, sign up at kathyheller.com slash challenge. Also, we're doing a giveaway because Monday, drum roll, Monday is our 300th episode of this podcast. Can you believe it? So we're going to be doing a special episode on Monday for that. I can't believe 300 episodes. And if you want to be a part of a giveaway we're doing, all you got to do is go to my Instagram account at kathy.heller. I just did a post about the giveaway yesterday. And if you just like that post, leave a review for the podcast, take a screenshot, whether you already left a review or you're going to go leave a review today, which would be so nice. But some time between now and Sunday, go ahead, leave a review, take a screenshot and send it to us at hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com with the subject line celebrate. And then go onto your Instagram and basically talk about the podcast and tag me and tag a friend and let your friends know, hey, this is going to be a show that you're really going to find inspiring. And if you guys go ahead and do it, I'll pick three of you. And on Monday, I'll announce the winners. And each of those three people will get some amazing swag as well as a six-month membership to our Arrive community, which has been so cool. There were two amazing coaching sessions in there this week, and I know that you guys will be guaranteed to get so much out of it. So if you want to celebrate our 300 episodes, you want to get in on that giveaway, go ahead and leave a review. Tell your friends about the show. It means so much to me. You guys are simply the best. All right, let's talk about today's episode. Today you are in for such a treat because the awesome Jen Hatmaker is joining us. She's a New York Times bestselling author, award-winning podcaster, a speaker, the co-founder of Legacy Collective, and she was the host of HGTV's Your Big Family Renovation. You probably come across one of her many books like For the Love, of Mess and Moxie, and her most recent book is called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. It's an absolute must-read. We talk about some of the most important themes and takeaways from the book, and it's super powerful. I highly recommend that you go get yourself a copy and go check out her super popular podcast for the love with Jen Hatmaker. 
On her show, she's been chatting with her friends about their stories and the things that they love, like family, community, TV, travel, shoes, food, culture. The list just goes on and on. She's had some amazing guests on, like Sherry Salata, Glennon Doyle, Bob Goff, Gretchen Rubin. You're definitely going to want to check it out. Jen is such a force to be reckoned with, and what I really admire about her is that even though she's so successful, she never takes herself too seriously. She's super real, raw, and full of integrity. There's no facade whatsoever, and I think that's super refreshing to witness. I know you're going to love her, so... Without further ado, please welcome the delightful Jen Hatmaker. Jen Hatmaker. I'm so happy. I'm, I'm not able to really contain it. So Aww. I want to talk about your book and I want to talk about your show. But before we talk about your books and your show, I want to talk about your journey because I don't okay. think everybody knows the, all the things. Mm-hmm. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what that arc was like? Mm-hmm. Decidedly a not fancy arc. Like the opposite of fancy. Met and married Brandon Hatmaker. We were both in college, like two babies. I wasn't even old enough to drink at my own wedding. Not that we would have had booze. But got married in college. We've been married for 26 years. And we have five kids. So it's just like this enormous number of people. So I was originally, I was a teacher. I taught fourth grade. But I just kind of had this sense, like, I'm not going to career here. No idea what I was going to do. I didn't really have a real sense of what I loved or what really even what I was good at, um, what I wanted out of life at that point. I mean, I was 26 years old when I had my third kid. You're such an overachiever. (laughs) I just, nobody told us not to do that, man. I mean, we just popped them out one after another. And so anyway... I wrote my first book when I was 29. It was absolutely terrible. I mean, it was terrible. Like I'm dead right now. When I'm thinking about it, I just died. And I'm at a funeral, mine. It was like, so, <laughs> oh my God. I don't know what I was doing. Nobody asked me to do that. It's not like I had a book contract. We didn't even have a computer. We were so poor. I was staying home with the kids who were one, three, and five at the time. And I mean, talk about the sloppiest beginning you just ever saw in your life. And so I told Brandon, you know, I am considering a different path. And that path is that I'm going to write a book. And he was like, (laughs) OMG. But to his incredible credit, once he picked his job off the ground, because that was an absurd thing to say. And can I ask you, what was brewing Uh in you? Like in order to Uh write a book, there has to be this message that's like Uh calling. Otherwise you would just like tell a friend, but to want to write a book, right? Right. What was it that you were saying at that point? I need to raise my hand and put this message in the world. Well, at the time, my husband was like in full-time ministry. So he is a pastor. And so a lot of our church at the time was very located inside our kind of church community and sort of a faith community. And I was, you know, leading inside of that. So I led women and students. We worked with students and college students all the time. So I was getting closer to what I was meant to do. Like I can look back and kind of see that I was dropping breadcrumbs from my own self um, to follow. So at the time, what I was doing was packaging everything I was learning and teaching to women inside a faith space. Like these are some tools that have really like strengthened my personal faith. So that's kind of where it all started. And I thought this was a throwaway quality, to be honest with you. I I didn't know that this was something to be harnessed, but I like funny. I like to be funny and I like humor and I always have. And I like to write funny. 
And so I'm like, well, this, I don't know how I'm going to get around this trait because this is not necessarily, you know, this isn't really a leading quality in the industry that I'm stepping into. I need to be an author. I need to be serious. I need to be serious. I'm leading in a faith space. I need a blazer. I need, yeah. and I, I can look back and see who I was emulating <laughs> back then, like who I was trying to sound like and even look like. Bless me. So I thought, well, I'll just try to tamp this down. You know, I'll just try to tamp this part of me down. But you know, it all comes out, and so that's where it started. And when I tell you it was not fancy, let me be super clear. I wrote seven books that literally nobody read. And that's real. Like, I'm, I don't think my mom read them. I joke. Oh my I, God, I love you. And there was no indicator that I should keep doing what I was doing. Like yeah. I was essentially working for about like $12 a year. That's about how much I made on that. So seven books, just writing like for n- nobody. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> I am not sorry. And I do not have any regrets at all because Those years (laughs) built something strong in me. And well, I learned how to be a writer, first of all. So I got slowly less cringy, like with each new one, just slightly, ever so slightly, but just a little. I slowly improved. I learned how to take editorial direction without like just absolutely falling into a pit of despair. I learned how to work hard and I learned how to work hard for no applause, for no awards, for no attention, for absolutely no success but for the love of the work and for the love of what I wanted to do. What a way to change your relationship to what equals failure and what equals success. And for you, the win was doing your part, right? It's like, if I did my part, that's the win. What God does with it or what it becomes, I have no control over, but I'm going to do my part and therefore I'm winning. And if everybody really heard that just now, and took that in, like you were doing it for no applause. You were doing it without yep. knowing an outcome. You weren't getting even an outcome. That's and right. yet you still felt somewhere, some, somehow called to do it. And so you yep. showed up for your part. When mm-hmm. did it start to change? Right. And you went, oh my God. Yeah. This is what I was building without knowing. Basically, the ninth book that I wrote called Seven. And that was the very first book where I actually had an agent and I wrote that book and it came out in maybe like 2011. And that was uh, where the sea parted. That was the fork in the road where for the very first time, just as nine little books in, I'm like, I became a career writer. That is when I kind of really stepped into my work. And I'm so thankful too, because I needed that time, man, not just to learn my craft, but to grow up. Like my worldview has evolved since then. A lot of my faith has evolved. My doctrines have changed. I, I'm 45 now and I wrote my first book when I was 29. And so, gosh, I'm really thankful actually that I didn't have a lot of eyes on my work. I had absolutely no pressure because there was no success to manage. And so since then, um, I've had a few more readers and things got a little different. They just got real different. So a couple of questions. What was it do you think that was in that book that people started to turn their head and go, oh, I'm paying attention. Like, what was that message? Because I do think that part of what you and everybody does who becomes really successful is we, we iterate, right? We just, 
we test and we, we, we start and then we get clearer and clearer. Oh, this is really my message. So you were obviously like you were iterating and you were massaging out your thing. And then in that ninth book, it seems like things connected. So what yeah. was that message that then started to be like, this is where I put my stake in the ground. This is me. I'm Jen Hatmaker. And this is what I'm saying. So at that time, when I wrote seven, I think what happened there was a combination of actually finally having a publishing house behind me so that I want to give them credit for their support. But I hit on a felt need and that's what it was because when people turn to books because they want or need something, you know, that's what they're there for. The words, they're in service to people. And so I hit on a felt need, which was this like sneaking suspicion that I had at the time that I was like just wasting a bunch of stuff. Like I couldn't get my finger on it, but like, I think we're wasting money. I think we're wasting time. I think we're like wasting a lot of stress and energy. I think we're wasting resources. I think everything's just too much right now. I think we have too much of everything. And so we did this social experiment, which also was kind of like a sort of a trendy thing at the time. We took seven areas where we thought in our family, we have got way too much going on here, too much stuff. And then culturally at large, probably the same, which was food, clothes, possessions, media and technology, spending, waste and stress. And we spent one month on each thing as a family and we boiled our options down to just seven things that month. So for example, the first month was clothes. I'm like, who bought all these clothes? And I'm like, oh, I did. And so we wore the same seven pieces of clothes for a month. And so over the course of the month, really addressing inequality in textile industry and like why are we doing this why am i spending this much money on clothes etc we ate the same seven foods for a month we gave away seven things a day that we owned for a month on and on and on and so it's so beautiful actually when you say it my blood pressure just like stabilizes because there is it's almost like you have this felt sense of like you're trying to fill something. You're trying to fill this empty feeling in your soul, right? That really probably only God can fill. You know what I mean? And then instead you just go shopping or you eat more, right? right? When really you're looking for like belonging, purpose, transcendence, connection, right? All those things. Yep. And you don't need it to come from like another thingy-majiggy you're going to put on the counter and this is going to be clutter. And it's, it's fascinating, especially in this time, because with the pandemic, everyone's talking about like, what's essential? Like what, what yeah. businesses are essential? What, hmm. what does that even mean? Right? So mm-hmm. what do you have to say that might breathe life into people right now? Because so much is being stripped away. What's your perspective on how maybe we can find a blessing here? Cause it feels mm-hmm. so hard. It does feel hard and it is hard. And none of our systems and our rhythms are set up for this. So what we're noticing in our house is the quarantine is shaking down a lot of traits, feelings, habits, ways in which we have been connecting that needed to be shaked down. And they're just very exposed right now. It's like just a raw exposed nerve. And the thing is in our usual life, we can just numb that out, you know, by a million things that you just listed. We have our, uh, the rest of our community. We have activities. These kids could go back to school for crying out loud. And so on one hand, I want to say that in some ways things are harder and a handful of places I'm 
guessing people listening are finding them to be more exposed for what they actually are and revealing some weak places in the fabric. And so I am trying to choose right now to see that as an opportunity and even potentially a gift. It doesn't feel like a gift right now because nerves are so frayed and some of our relationships are rubbing so hard, but I'm trying to just say, okay, this was always there, but now you can super see it. And so I'm asking myself right now, what is your vision for this? What would be your highest vision for this place of tension? What would be your highest vision for this thing in me that's rising up that I'm like, ew. And so we have had a lot of long talks here, a lot of hard talks here, a lot of family meetings. We've had some moments where I've just said, I need to not talk to any of you. I need to not look at your faces and I don't want you to look at mine and I don't want to hear your voice and I don't want to say words. And so sometimes that's the thing. Um, so I can go kind of still and quiet, but I just have so much compassion for everybody right now. Like everybody in your community who is just like, I got to get out of here or this is so hard. I'm just, I think we're all doing the best we can. And I just wonder what would happen if we were courageous enough to say, what might I do with this? What could this look like? If I choose to face this hard thing and be willing to tell the truth about it, could there be some beautiful version of it emerge? Yeah. yeah it's well, possible. It is. It's interesting because Andrew Cuomo, he said, look, you know, we've all been saying our families are really important. I'll get to it. The environment's really important. I'll get to it. My purpose in life is really important. I'll get to it. But we don't get to it. Yeah. And now is a moment where it's like, no, 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 no. You need to get to it now. Right. Yeah. And it's like, we're being given this opportunity to be like, are you in alignment with your soul's purpose? Yeah. Is your family interacting the way you need them to and want to? What mm -hmm. is your deepest desire? Are we doing the best thing for the environment? Like, yeah, it's just fascinating to me, Jen, because a year ago, 1.4 million Americans attempted suicide and 54% of the country was taking an antidepressant and stated that the reason why is because they felt lonely. Mm -hmm. So were we okay? Are we running right. back to that? Right. Mm. Or did we have a connection problem? Did we have a social mm -hmm. distance problem? Where was community in our home yeah. with our people? Right. Yeah. What are we focusing on? And it's interesting because now it's been taken away and it seems as though we have social distance, but for the first time I'm seeing people on zoom with their parents, I'm mm. seeing people making the time for their girl gang to hang out and have a glass of rosé on Thursday night because yeah. it's important and it has to be on the calendar. I'm standing here going, are we going to look back and say, God, you know what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And how could this be a coincidence? The entire world has come to a screeching halt. Yeah. And you were just so generous to share so candidly what it's like. And I'm pretty sure that's what it's like across the world right now. Yeah. We've got to be really careful. My girlfriend, Kristen, calls it the hardship Olympics, where we start comparing our oh hard God. to somebody else's hard and then giving them ranks like, oh, and, and you know, it's so our tendency to do it. Like I've got two seniors right now. I have a senior in college and a senior in high school. That sucks. It sucks for them. And so I, I hear myself even going, both my seniors are missing out on all their rites of passage, but at least we're all healthy. You know, that hardship Olympics, um, which has no winners. And so I think at the same time, we have to be careful not to play the awesome pandemic Olympics either, the one where we're doing the absolute best. And so 
I'm just reminded that what most of us are seeing on our social media feeds right now, that's curated. That's everybody's best moment of the day. That's the one time they got all their people and took a walk with a dog. Well, that is adorable. That is precious. But I'm telling you right now, they're not showing you the knockdown drag out in the kitchen tape, you know? And so that's on us. We can't control what people say and do. It's our job to be really careful how we receive information right now. We're all tender. Like we're all anxious and we're fragile and we're doing the best that we can, but this is a hard moment to do the best that we can. And so it's our responsibility to say, I'm just going to take ownership of me right now, me and mine. Um, I'm not going to assume that everybody is doing better or worse, but this is what we have. And so in this house, in this family, in this marriage, in this apartment, with this partnership, whatever it is, this is ours to steward. And it's ours to tell the truth in. It's ours to show up as sincerely as we possibly can right now. And then it will be like ours to emerge with too. Yeah. And that is the gift that you give the world, the, the sincere factor. And thank you for doing that because there's a sea of people on social media, but there's very few people who are lighthouse and the lighthouse people are the ones who are like, this is really what's up. You know, I don't eat avocado toast every day. Yeah. And I don't hang out with my people and walk that cute, adorable dog every day. That's right. Because I'm living the human experience with you. That's and, right. And everybody needs that. Now, mm-hmm. you also just wrote an amazing book. It's called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, The Guide to Being Glorious You. And it talks about how to stop hiding, people-pleasing, being sidelined in your own life. And you're talking about being brave and claiming your gifts. And I think that in a way, it's like the very best time for people to read this book. So tell us about this book and tell us what you really wanted to get across in your Mm -hmm. words. My friend Sarah Bessie had said something to me about fears that was so resonant that I've just kind of taken it with me because she's been my friend throughout lots of books and they all had their place and they all had their, their purpose. But she's like, Jim, this book is the one that you earned. And I'm like, yeah, this is the one that I lived and that I deeply learned and ultimately earned. And so it's not a memoir. This is not about me. It's a tool for my community and for my readers, but my story's in there. And I talk candidly about my march toward freedom. And what that means is Mm. absolute ownership of my own life an agency over my own ideas my own convictions, what I'm good at, what my purpose and my gifts are, what I believe, um, what my relationships look like and how I'm connecting with people. Like I'm saying yes to all of it, that this is my work and this is the one life God gave me and he picked me for it. He's like, you, here's you. I'm choosing you for you. And so here's this life that I'm giving you. And therefore it is my job to show up for that life. It is my job to tell the truth inside that life and to have authority over it, right? And so I am so bananas about this idea for women because most of us can understand deeply and identify deeply with what it means to be the opposite, which is like disintegrated. You know what I mean? Where this room gets one piece of you, this room gets a different version of you, this room gets even a third version of you, but there's this one true version that you have back here in the private room with only a few safe people, and that's the real you, but that's not what everybody else sees. And so that's not even our fault. 
this is the cultural messaging you and I got. I knew this stuff where I got out of first grade. I knew what girls were supposed to say. I knew how they were supposed to act, which girl behaviors were going to be rewarded and which ones would be punished. I knew, definitely knew how I was supposed to look. I knew very quickly what the favored look is. And so, you know, we've been told our whole lives who to be and what to say and what to think and what to believe and where our place is and how many opinions we are allowed and how much authority we can have, what our role is in any given situation or, or relationship. And so we've done a really good job of it. Like we are good learners. We learned it. We learned how to do that. We learned to read every room and give it what it wants. That's our job. And so I am halfway through my life, more or less, and I am like, no, thank you. No, thank you. And, and frankly, everybody loses that, not just the women. It's not just women who are going to pay the price um, for our own silencing or our own complicity or our own fear and shame. It's everybody. I mean, when we are too afraid to show up true in our own skin, our relationships lose, our marriages lose, our children lose, our communities lose. What are we not putting our hands to that we're supposed to be doing? Like everybody loses. It's a lose-lose. And so this idea of like women living in full freedom is so exciting to me. And I think on the other side of that work, and it is work, on the other side of that work, there's so much flourishing possible that I just can't stand it. That is the community I want to lead. I'm literally, my whole body is reverberating with electricity right now. And I'm taking notes because what you just were able to distill down is a hundred percent at the root of all of the suffering, right? This idea, which you just laid out, which is like, I'm this person in this room. I'm this person in this room, right? And, And really when I hit my head on the pillow at night, And it's just me. I have this essential self Mm -hmm. that is like weeping Hmm. because this girl, like you said, she's a good student Hmm. and she is learning how to earn love by suppressing who she is. I could cry, right? It's so real and it's so true. And we have believed that for so long and we've played our part. We've done our part to keep that system intact. The one where our job is to stabilize the temperature in the room, right? Like, so if somebody is getting too warm, that's on us to cool the room a little until they're comfortable again. If this person's getting too cool, our job, warm it up, keep them stable. And the thing is, we've done that for so long without ever asking the question, wait, I did not even get to set the temperature, you know, like why is this all I'm good for? And it's not, it's really not. And I cannot say enough how much I wish that women would learn to trust themselves, to trust your own good mind and heart. Um, Because part of the lie, like one of the ways to keep us all real quiet and submissive and sidelined and afraid was to tell us that women who had ownership of their life, who had real agency, over their thoughts and ideas and convictions and words and purpose and path, 
that those were women was like so dangerous, right? They're so dangerous to marriage. Um, they were going to be the collapse of all of our churches and faith communities. Um, this is where the society is just going to rip in half if these women are let loose. But that's just a lie. That's a lie because the truth is women who are free are the best women. These are like the greatest partners and wives. These are the most incredible parents and they're work is so beautiful. They're creatives. They are incredible servants and neighbors. They're great news. And so it's not true. The story's not real. It's just the story was told to maintain the status quo because, you know, power differentials are not neutral. So if we are waiting for systems to course correct on their own, we're going to go to the grave. So this is on us to be disruptive. And I don't mean that in this like slashy, burn it all away. I just mean disruptive because truth disrupts the things that are lies, right? If something has been built on a power differential, if something has been built on oppression, if something has been built and the cost is the silence of these people so these people can stay in power, that thing is a lie. That is not the truth. So if truth can disrupt it, it ought to burn. If truth can make it crumble, let it crumble. And so that's our work. Nobody can do this for us and nobody's going to do this for us. Nobody is going to say, I'd like you to be the truest, realist version of who you are. Um, even though that might cost me something that you're providing for me, right? Nobody's going to do that. It's ours. This is mine. It's yours. And I believe in women to do it. And then I believe that on the other side of that, it's just gorgeous, free life. Can't wait. I mean, I've almost cried like three times, like literally welled up with tears. So I guess that means I did cry. You know, I went to onsite in December and I remember sitting there, you know, halfway through the week and I was like, I'm codependent. And I was like, mm -hmm. I never knew I was a codependent. I thought codependent people were needy mm -hmm. people, people who required yeah. other people to no, it's the opposite. It's, I need everyone to be okay. I'm yeah. literally choosing constantly what I say and do because of the, like you said, the temperature in the room. And totally. I, I, I basically went to onsite to collect that child who was me at six years old and go, you don't have to work this hard anymore. Oh, You can take this stack of bricks that you are carrying and put them down. You know how exhausting it is mm. and how not free you are if right. every single second you think it's your job to make That's sure right. that everyone is okay and everyone is okay with what you say and who you are and all of that before you could just even just show up like so Gosh. I think a lot of people learn that in order to be loved we have to keep the peace or we need to make this person happy totally. or we got to get a good grade or whatever it is for you it's and what you're saying is like this has to stop and I do yeah. think when you started to go further at first I was like all in, but then my good girl self started to say, wait a minute, yep. I can't be a disruptor because I do have this programming, Jen, which says if I'm winning, yeah. someone else is losing. Yeah. And I can't do that because my number one value is be nice, be the nicest person they ever met. Totally. And I will hold on to that. I am so committed to that value that mm. I will throw myself in the fire. How can we be sure that we're going to be nice and yet we need to stop setting ourselves on fire? Like I have a million things to say. It's so real. That goes back to our cultural conditioning. A hundred percent, a key message that most of us have received is 
being nice is your imperative. Like you just don't get to not do that. And, and so we yeah. packaged a lot of things around what being nice looks like, which essentially means paying the bill for other people's behavior because we don't want them to feel the effects of their own bad behavior. That's not what nice people do. Nice people pretend it didn't hurt them. Nice people pick up the slack. Nice people make excuses for them. Nice people lie to everybody else about what they're like so that it doesn't hurt their feelings, right? But none of this work is at the expense of our tenderness, of our compassion, of love. We don't have to sacrifice any of that to be free and whole. So, but there's a story that it is, right? That if I choose freedom, then I'm going to have to sacrifice all these gentle things about me or compassion or love or nurture. Not true. False equivalency. Because like, if you think about when we are paying somebody else's bill, we are robbing them of their own health. We are. I know how it feels. We feel like that we're keeping the peace, but we're actually robbing everybody of peace. First of all, we have no peace. So by our own peace, and frankly, we're robbing them of sincere peace because they have their own work to do. And so this whole idea of keeping the temperature in the room stable so nobody else gets uncomfortable is a terrible one. Some people need to get uncomfortable. We all do. We all do. If we were healthy adults with ownership of our own lives, every one of us should be willing to both be uncomfortable and let one another be uncomfortable and go, this is your thing to face. This is your thing to deal with. Like this is some real heavy interior lifting that you're going to have to do. Or this is a way that you're showing up inside this relationship that is absolutely poisonous and I'm drinking the poison. And so what I'm going to do is set a boundary so that I am no longer just reaping what you are sowing. We should all be reaping what we are sowing, not what everybody else is sowing. And so until everybody else is going to have responsibility for their own lives, they are also getting cheated. They don't think they are because we're paying the bill. We're making it easier. Um, we're keeping their power intact. We're keeping the lie that they're telling themselves intact. We're keeping their reputation intact, whatever the thing is. But we're cheating them too of a whole, full, free life. And so this kind of wiring is so different from what we were handed that it just takes some real intentional work. I had that same mean girl right here going, God, but just, you know, like everybody wants you to be nice. I know. And we don't have to sacrifice love. We don't have to sacrifice connection. We don't have to sacrifice absolute sweetness to people or tenderness or, or kindness. All that stays intact. Um, we are just simply shifting responsibility to where it belongs. Mine is mine. Yours is yours. And there's so much freedom on the other side of that. Whoa. Yeah. There's so much there. This really is the, the conversation that needs to be had nonstop around the clock because this is like, we all need to be an Al-Anon is what it is. It's like whether you had a parent who was an alcoholic or not, the dance around somebody else's BS and yep. how you've like given it permission. We teach people how to treat us and we, we live the lives we're willing to tolerate. And like you said, it's not keeping their peace because you're no. not allowing them to have a mirror, right? To grow, to change, to be evolving into who they're supposed to be. So it's amazing. I want to talk about though, when you keep saying, you've said it a few times now, mm -hmm. on the other side of it, you guys, is gorgeous, incredible possibility yeah. and freedom, right? 
We don't yeah. understand that. This I is know. all we know. So right. if we were to leave the cage and fly out there, it seems terrifying, right? Yes. So what are you seeing with your lenses? Yes. What does that mean to you, possibility and freedom on the other side of this test? Because what you're asking for us to do feels so terrifying that it's like the reward better be great on the other side. Yeah. What does it look like? You're not wrong. That's what the whole book is about. That's why I told you that my friend Sarah said this is earned because there's no path to it except all the way through it. You can't cheat it. There's not a shortcut. I'm sorry. God, I wish there was. I really do. And I tried to find some. Um, but you can't cheat the path. And so the only way through it is all the way through it. And I want to acknowledge something you just said, that it feels scary and that you're not wrong. And if we have been living, at, even partially, some fraudulent version of ourselves, whether it's inside one particular relationship or place, whether it's in our like career culture or even our family or our geography, whatever, then it is scary to imagine what if I started telling the truth here? What if I quit hiding? What if I quit pretending? What if I quit lying? Some of us are just lying. Um, what if this secret, and, and by the way, real quick, let me make sure I make this distinction. There is a difference between privacy, which is marked by discretion, and which every one of us has the right to. Not everybody needs to know every single thing in our life that's hard. They haven't earned it. But there's a difference between privacy and secrecy because secrecy is generally marked by shame, right? So a lot of us have some secrets, man. Like, and we're thinking, God, if people knew, if I told the truth about that, are you kidding me? Like I'd blow up my own life. You know, I know that's how that feels. And so I, I want to be really honest real quick before I get to your beautiful question about what does it look like after. There is a cost, but you're already paying a cost. So the way that you're living right now isn't free. You're just paying it. And so you can either pay to be in bondage or you can pay to be free. So just pick it, like which one do you want? And so yes, you are correct in thinking that if you begin to show up in a genuine way, you are gonna create some turbulence in your life. That's true. And I wanna tell you something, you can handle it. I'm not trying to be trite. You can handle this and it is worth it. You can handle tension. You can handle anger. You can handle someone's absolute disagreement. You can even handle rejection and you might get it. I did absolutely tons of it. I was rejected out of my entire community um, because in my world, belonging was the currency. So you get it as a reward when you follow the rules, but you are punished with it when you don't. And so I lost a lot of belonging and that sucks and it hurts and it is real and I am not minimizing that. Um, so you probably will pay the cost and you can, you're strong enough, you're able and you're worth it and you're worthy and your real life is awaiting you. And so pick which way you want to pay. I suggest paying the price for freedom is the right price to pay on the other side of it. Some things are going to burn away. I said it. And like I said, if truth can make something crumble, then it shouldn't crumble. Then that thing wasn't true to begin with. That thing wasn't stable to begin with. It was predicated on your silence or on your pretense. So some things are going to crumble and that's going to hurt and you're going to live. Remember in, then, um, in the show Wicked? Idina Menzel's character, you know, she plays the witch. Uh -huh. Yep. And she sings Defying Gravity. And yeah. she says, Well, if that's love, it comes at much too high a cost. That's right. That's right. And I'm done. And I would yeah. contend that wasn't love to begin with. And so, what you will emerge with, it may be smaller, it may look completely different than what you expected. You may find yourself in a community you didn't know before. 
you may discover that you are holding on to some spiritual curiosity that you didn't know you had permission to have, but oh my gosh, look, there's all these people asking the same questions. You may end up with a relationship that is actually reformed by boundaries. Boundaries are an incredible corrective tool. They can redeem a relationship. They are not the problem. Boundaries can restore a relationship to health. And what you will have left will be absolutely true. You know what you get to do? Your little private room over here, the little one that you, the real you lived in, but you were too afraid, that is your one room. It's where you live. And you, you do not have to be afraid anymore. You've already done it. You walked through the fear. You lost what you were going to lose. It will purge you of fear. I'm not afraid anymore. I can't think of something I'd be afraid of right now. This sort of work purged me of the fear that kept me from the work. Isn't that ironic? You will have relationships based in truth telling. Isn't that worth something? You will be facing things that may be really, really hard, but at least you're facing them in a real sincere way. You are not lying anymore. It's not a charade anymore. You're not keeping up this weird house of cards that everybody is looking at anymore. It's such a relief. Like it is such a relief to say what you mean, to be who you are and to live the life you've been handed. You won't regret it. I'm just telling you, if you can trust me for anything, you won't regret it. The life I'm living right now is so free and so true and so expansive and so gorgeous. I can't believe it. It's the life I wanted five years ago, but I was too afraid to pay the price. And I knew what it was going to cost. And I was, I didn't know if I could handle it and I paid it and I handled it. And here I stand. And I am like the most grateful person in the whole entire world. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. Back when I was burning everything down because I couldn't live like that anymore, I, ha I had to pick my integrity. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't have my career over here in this one hand that wasn't true. I wasn't telling the truth inside of it. I, I knew I could either have my career or I could have my integrity, but I could not have both. And I picked my integrity because I could not look at myself in the mirror anymore. And so when all that was falling away, a really good friend of mine, she's passed away just about one year ago. Her name was Rachel Held Evans. And she called me and she was like, Jen, I'm going to tell you something right now that you won't be able to understand now, but you will later. She's like, cause everything's on fire right now. It's burning. You're scared. It's so loud. It's hot. You don't know how you're ever going to get out of this or what is ever going to be reclaimed or rebuilt or reimagined. You can't know that yet. You're not to it. And she's like, here's what I want to tell you right now in the flames, doing the right thing. And saying what is true and real is its own reward. It will be your comfort and it will be your reward. It doesn't really matter what comes after this. This will sustain you alone. And she was right. Having integrity is its own reward. So everything that comes after that is bonus. It's like icing on a cake. We are worthy of having our own integrity. We are worthy of ownership in our life. And so it will comfort you. It will sustain you when the flames are pretty hot. But I'm telling you, every flame burns out. It does. The waves will recede. They always do. And then your prize is to live in the life that you earned. And you'll get there. And it'll be gorgeous. And I'm excited for you. Oh, my God. This is why you get paid to do the things and say the things. Oh my God, the greatest. I have to ask you this though, because for some reason I haven't asked the question, 
what was the thing you were not saying? What was the big scary thing that you were afraid to do or say or choose? There was a big umbrella over it, which was my own spiritual concern about the faith package that I was handed as a kid that I grew up in. It started to pull at the seams. I started to really wonder like, why are only men in charge? And where are the people of color? And why can't women lead? And why do abusers keep getting protected inside the system and the victims keep getting kicked out of their churches? I don't get it. And what about how white supremacy forms so much of our theology? And see what I'm saying? I was starting to pull some threads. I grew up inside that. That's the only thing I knew. And so I didn't ever question it until I got older and my lived experience started to rub up against a lot of those tenants. And I was like, but this is not what I see in the world. This is actually causing harm. This is causing pain. This is the source of abuse. I don't know if I believe it like this anymore. I think we maybe got a bunch of this wrong. As you can imagine, if you are a leader inside a big evangelical faith community, those are not welcome questions. <laughs> so those were all rubbing. Like any observer can start to see the tears in the fabric, any observer. But for me, the, the nail in the coffin where the fabric ripped in half was when my husband and I took a couple of years to deeply re-examine what we had ever heard or been taught about the LGBTQ community. And we discovered, we emerged from the other side of that and we didn't believe that anymore. And we changed our theology around that and said very widely, very publicly and very on purpose that we 100% affirmed our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and all the kids and the mamas and the daddies and they are beloved and they are precious. And that was the end. That was the end. As it turns out, that's the line. Uh, and I knew it. But again, career, integrity. If I believe that, how dare I leave that community out there on their own? How dare I not stand with them? How dare I not defend them? How dare I not challenge the very system that has broken their hearts and broken their bodies and broken their families? I'm no leader. If I'm too afraid to pay the personal cost to do the right thing, I am no leader at all. I should quit. I should disavow myself. And that's where it was. That was the line. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's amazing because like everything that we just talked about from like our childhoods or parents or what, how, how this all started with being a pleaser. I think when you really, really go as deep as you could go with it, I think people believe that for God to love them, yeah. it's conditional. That's right. And God will only love me if I believe this way, think mm -hmm. this way, do this thing. And that couldn't be further from the truth. If God is the sun, you're a ray of the sun. How could the sun hate the light it shines? It's like- It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. Like we are a piece of that light. Like there That's is right. no distinction. That is a oneness. We are living and breathing that, oh. right? So it doesn't make any sense, but we at the core, right? We think that that's what's true. And what's awesome, Jen, is on the other side of you liberating yourself, I'm sure you found- tons of amazing Christians who were like, Hey, right here, we got a spot for you. And you were like, new friends. I'm like not like being shunned into a different, like, I'm not, I don't have to live in an Island right now by myself. You know, it's like, come on. Um, I mean, it feels like a miracle. Like when I yeah. finally made that little tiny private room public, I this, lost a lot, but I gained more. You're just such a good human being and your words are so important and so impactful. And 
you know, it just comes down to courage. It comes down to courage. And like you said, I love it. You either pay this way or you pay that way. Like, what do you want to pay? Right. Yeah. Oh my God. So you also, on top of it all, the book is here. Podcast. You have a podcast. When did you start your podcast? About the same time as you. We're coming up on our three-year mark. It's called For the Love Podcast. And we have just had on some of the greatest people, same as you, like just some of the most interesting thinkers and leaders, some of the most courageous folks, funny people. We do ours in series. So it's like, you know, for the love of music, we have a bunch of mu- music musicians on or for the love of Netflix. Cause I care about important things. Sometimes <laughs> we do real deep dives and sometimes it is for the love of stand-up comics and we have nothing to comedy. Uh, and it's just the greatest thing. You know, I've just done so much solo work for so long and writing is such a solo venture that I was just sick of myself. I'm like, I cannot say one more thing. Oh not gosh. one more thing. I cannot hear myself say another I word. I need another person to say their words. That's it. That's all I'm going to do. So, so fun for the love podcast. Awesome. It's so awesome. We will link to your book. Thank you for showing up and shining your light and breathing such truth into us today. Mm -hmm. Like what is one, let's leave the audience, one tiny thing they might be able to do today Mm -hmm. that will march them towards their freedom. Totally. It's an inside job, man. Like before we just go and start blowing it all up. (laughs) just give yourself permission. Like if you can just say in the quiet of your own good heart, I deserve my whole true life. I deserve it. Women don't even know that. They don't even know that they deserve goodness. And so if you can just tell yourself that today, if you can say, no, I deserve this. I've been given a beautiful life. It's my responsibility to steward well. Therefore, I deserve to be able to show up in it true. You do. It's true. Just marinate with that for a little bit. Start seeing how that feels in like your body and in your mind and in your feelings um, to reverse that really gross narrative that most of us had, which is you don't deserve anything good. So you deserve this. And I hope that women will give themselves permission to just step the first little foot into it. Oh, it's so worth it. You're the best, Jen Hatmaker. Thank you. Love talking to you today. You're the best. It was so much fun talking to Jen. And here are the takeaways. Number one, it's our responsibility to say, I'm taking ownership of me right now. Number two, this is your work. This is the one life you're given. It's your job to show up for it. No one can or will do it for you. Number three, when we pay someone else's bill, we are robbing them of their own health. Reap what you are sowing, not what everyone else is sowing. You don't have to sacrifice love, connection, or kindness. It's just shifting the responsibility to where it belongs. Number four, there's no path to it except all the way through it. Number five, you will create turbulence in life, but you can handle it. You're strong enough and you're worth it. Your real life is awaiting you. Pick which way you want to pay. Number six, doing the right thing and saying what is true and real is its own reward. It doesn't matter what comes after this because this will sustain you alone. We are worthy of having our own integrity. And number seven, this is an inside job. Give yourself permission. Say in the quiet of your own good heart, I deserve my whole true life. All right, now let's celebrate your wins. Eric posted in our Facebook group and he said, I got a call from a studio I worked for years ago that said they need people for a new project. The conference call comes Monday and I'll get a chance to reconnect with some people I haven't spoken to in far too long. Currently, I'm working on a special postcard to send out for the end of the year to keep connections going with all the people I've met who do freelance art like me. Eric, that's so awesome. There's so much power in staying connected with people you know and have worked with. And even if you just drop in to say, hey, I was thinking of you, hope you're doing well, no need to respond. It really does mean a lot and it can open so many doors down the road. 
So I love your idea of the postcard project. And I think all those people who will get them are going to feel so appreciated. You guys can go check out Eric's awesome work on his website, which is ericjohnsonillustrator.com. And Eric is spelled E-R-I-K. Here's another win from Allison. She said, I'm finally launching a virtual creative self-care retreat series that has been in my heart since May. As of this week, I've booked an art therapist, Reiki practitioner, sound healer, a yoga instructor, and breathwork facilitator. Thank you for your fire hose of enthusiasm, Kathy. It's meant more than ever the last few months. Allison, that's so cool. Allison was in my accelerator program last year, and she's one of the sweetest, most generous people that we've met, and all the success she has is so well-deserved. That retreat sounds amazing. I can't wait to see how this keeps growing and growing, so please keep us posted. You guys can go give Allison some love. Her Instagram is at composeyourselfcare. All right. Well, I know that there's so much going on and I really, really appreciate that you guys are listening. And can you believe it? Monday is our 300th podcast episode. 300. It's crazy. I cannot believe how much has happened in three and a half years and meeting you guys and getting to connect with all these guests. It's just been completely like the greatest gift ever. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on this ride with me, however long you've been a part of it. And if you want to get in on this awesome giveaway we're doing, I posted about it on my Instagram yesterday at kathy.heller, Kathy's with a C. But basically, all you got to do is leave a review for the podcast and then send us a screenshot of that review to hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com with the subject line celebrate. And then go to my Instagram and you'll see the rest of the things. But all it is is like post about the podcast and tag a friend and tag me because we want you to share the podcast. Basically, we want you to leave a review and then share the show because we want more people to hear this. And I think that more people will find this inspiring. If you're finding it inspiring, can you think of one person who could benefit from this? It's free and there's so many good episodes coming out and I cannot wait for what's in store. And just to say thanks for all your support, we're going to be doing this giveaway. So we'll pick three of you who leave us a review and who talk about the podcast. And on Monday, I'll announce the winners and the those three of you will each get a six-month membership to the Arrive community, which has been straight fire. There were two coaching sessions already in there this week. I did a coaching session on Tuesday. And then yesterday on Wednesday, we had Stacey Tushel come in and she was fantastic. And we talked all about how to get clients in the door, how to increase revenue. It was so good. So you'll get six months of that. We're picking three of you. All you have to do is leave us a review, send a screenshot to hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com with the subject line celebrate, and then post about the podcast on your Instagram and tag a friend and tell them, hey, I think you might find this inspiring. We're going to pick three of you. I'll announce the winners on Monday to say thank you for 300 episodes because you guys, we did this together and I could not be more grateful for the whole experience. Also, remember, I'm doing a five-day free workshop. It starts August 31st. You can get in at kathyheller.com slash challenge. It's free. It's called Made for This. We're going to figure out what is it that you were put in this world to do. I believe God does not make extras and every one of you was given a divine assignment and you know it. So let's get you back in touch with who you are and let's help you make a more epic life because you deserve it. So I love you. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you Monday.